this week on One on One. When we say get better, get better is not just for basketball. It's how can we get better in each category of our life? How can we improve mentally? How can we improve physically? How can we improve emotionally? Texas A&M head men's basketball coach Buzz Williams shares his philosophies behind the balance between basketball development and personal development for his players. We want our program to be the number one total development program. Plus, he takes you through an unprecedented summer. And so I don't want to look at this and go, oh my goodness, are we going to play a season? I can't control those things. The training and equipping our players, our staff, that's what I've tried to focus on in this very unique time. Relive stops along his coaching journey. Big East basketball, late 2000s. Yeah, I've been so fortunate. Jim Calhoun, Jim Beheim, Rick Patino. I mean, I think it was four Hall of Famers in the league at the same time. And so much more. Now, here's Kevin. Coach, I was looking forward to having you on. I was looking forward to this one in particular, and not just based on all of your coaching successes, but uh, I consider you one of the most thoughtful and and hardworking and and strategic coaches out there. So I always appreciate our conversations. I'm always learning quite a bit after we talk. So thanks so much for taking out the time to join us here. And I'm honored that you would ask me. Good to see you. Good morning. So I, I'll start with this one. I'll keep the trend going. I've asked you this one. I think every time I've, I've seen you, plus you got the bookshelf behind you. You're an avid book reader. Which, which three are you reading right now? Uh, what are the genres and, and why are they the ones that you're reading right now? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I read a book a week and, um, but I rotate each day uh, throughout the day what I read. So one is always going to be spiritual. One is always going to be a leadership-esque business type. Uh, And then at night, I have to try to read something uh, that'll help me go to sleep. Uh, The two I read during the day are obviously things that I can underline and highlight and take notes on, but I don't sleep great. So at night, I try to read uh, something that'll maybe calm my brain down a little bit. So uh, it's, it's always those genres. Uh, I try to read one biography a month, uh, just so that it's mixed up. I think sometimes, um, reading someone's life story is a little different read and a different perspective than maybe, uh, the newest form of leadership or the newest, um, you know, anything that would be business related. So, uh, sometimes I, I, well, once a month, I always read a biography as well. Your schedule is, it seems to be very regimented, very organized. You pack a lot into each day. So how organized? What, what, what do you have to get done each day and, and why? Yeah, uh, really good question. Um, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, Kevin, what would be the right approach on how to answer that. So I have nine daily disciplines that I do. Uh, during the quarantine, I've added six more. Um, it is very regimented. It's too regimented, to be honest. Uh, I don't handle chaos very well. I have enough chaos in my brain. And so I try to regulate my time as best I can. So it kind of keeps me in a narrow lane on what I know I need to do, um, how I need to handle that particular day. But I I would say, unless you're kind of in my sphere Uh, Obviously, my wife is aware. The people that are on our staff are aware. I don't necessarily know that it's uh, the best way for everybody, but I think 
for me, I have to have those um, scheduled itinerary things on what I'm trying to accomplish. And it's just, it's just to keep me going in what I believe is the right direction. It's not necessarily the best direction for anybody else. It's just what I believe. You mentioned something there that I, I listened to you speak on not long ago, and it's, and it pertains to daily disciplines. And mm. it's, it's, th those are obviously things that may be really difficult to get through, but kind of what, what happens afterward or the results of doing these things on a daily basis obviously creates kind of a love for them. Which of your former players over your years of coaching at, at A&M, Virginia Tech, Marquette, New Orleans, and so on and so forth, which, which players best embodied that? They really bought into that. They were like the disciplined ones who really came to love that part. Yeah, uh, not because he's a good player. Uh, Jimmy Butler was real good at it. Um, he, he's wired very similar to I am in regards to how his brain operates and how he thinks in a linear fashion. Uh, incredibly hard worker, very disciplined, but uh, wants a schedule, wants to know what's next. Um, it, you know, there's, there's eight people on our current staff at A&M, Kevin, who started in our program wherever that was as a student. Uh, either as a player, either as a manager or graduate assistant. And so uh, I think part of just the osmosis of it all um, relative to time management, no matter what your category is on our staff, just because of how I operate, you, <laughs> you have to deal with some of that. I try not to inflect it completely uh, because I know it's not for everyone. But I do think that um, – the process, those are the words that real smart coaches use. I'm not sure that that's necessarily a word that I use. I understand the intent of it, but I think how you go about it is important. Um, what you're doing is semi-important. I think the why you're doing it is most important. And so, uh, Buzz, why do you do those things? For me, that's always the right question. How do you do those things? I can explain it. But because that's how I do it, that doesn't necessarily mean that I think it would be best for somebody else. It's just how I do it. And then what is it that you're doing? You know, I can articulate those things, but I think that's kind of the top layer of it. You know, you're really not getting into the meat of what's important. So uh, it doesn't mean that I have all the answers. That's not what I'm saying. But I think player, manager, coach, just because of the routine and the rhythm in which we function – some of that is going to uh, burn off on you in, in some way or another. And I think as those kids get older, that routine, whether they agreed with it as a player or not, it ends up helping them, whether they're still a player or they're a husband, they're a father, or they're starting their next career post-basketball. I just think from a time management standpoint, I think we all need help in that regard. I, I want to key in there on, on Jimmy Butler. His story is one that I still don't think many look back on and, and realize just how amazing it is. But how did, because you had a big part in all of this happening, how did Jimmy Butler go from junior college in Texas and kind of overlooked to a certain degree to Marquette, to NBA, five-time All-Star, so on and so forth? Well, it, the first thing I would say on that, Kevin, is we did a, 
uh, a great job of coaching him down. He was never even an all-conference player and ended up being a first-round pick. Um, I, I do think, though, similar to what the last question was, you know, I, I think how he went about his day and just the compound effort, the compound impact, the compound effect over a long period of time. And uh, I don't know, maybe he's at the halfway point of his basketball career. Only time will tell that. But I think it's the compound effect. He's what, what doesn't get mentioned about Wesley Matthews, what doesn't get mentioned about some of those guys that are still playing. Jay Crowder, obviously, is still uh, in the league playing with Jimmy. Those guys are really, really intelligent. Not intelligent players. They're really intelligent people. And I think that there's some level of connection that their brain is part of their game. And I think that uh, that's not spoken about because of um, how many points they score or who they guard or how fast they run. Man, if you're able to sustain and have success at any level in any industry, in my opinion, your brain is part of your game. And so as much as we exercise our body, uh, how, how much are we exercising our brain? And, and then I think the next piece, and I think this is being revealed in what we're going through in our country, is how much are we exercising our heart? Like, uh, what's our empathy level? What's our compassion level? And I think that uh, all of those categories, not just your craft, everybody is going to give time to their craft if they want to be good, but are you giving time to your brain? Are you giving time to your soul? Because it's, it's all of those pieces, and the higher you go, the separation is almost invisible. And so it can't just be exclusively based on your talent. Because at some point, regardless of your industry, the talent is going to settle. And so the separator is not just your talent. And so um, I, I think how you spend your time in each of those categories over the course of your life, over the course of your career, I think that's, um, that's key. And I, I think, you know, as I get older, like when people ask me about Jimmy or any, anybody, uh, anybody, uh, the former players that are currently on our staff, it doesn't, I'm not speaking exclusively about the kids that are playing in the league. Your, your best work wasn't uh, about me at all. You know, it, it wasn't about me. It was always about someone else. And when you want your best work, the way you do that is just remove your ego. I got to remove my ego. And when I stop telling my story and start telling someone else's story, I think that always provides someone that doesn't have a voice, a voice. And I think like in what we're going through now, the voices that are not heard as a leader, those are, those are the people I need to represent the most. Um, you know, when people ask me, man, how did you get into coaching? Yeah, I know that story. I'm very um, restricted. And when I say it, because when I say my story, I got to be careful that it doesn't come across Kevin like my story is more impactful than yours. It's not. It's my story. It's important to me. 
But as I've progressed and now I'm approaching getting old, I shouldn't continue to use my time talking about my story. If you want to know my story, you can Google it. You can figure it out. But maybe as a steward of other stories, I shouldn't be worried about mine. I should be worried about theirs and how can I help their story? And I think that in the end, I think that's what's most important. When did that then, that, that, that kind of philosophy really, really hit? Yeah, I think everybody has to create a matrix for themselves on what they think success is. And I think a part of that matrix probably changes as you evolve, as you mature, as you uh, approach different stages in your life. You know, if you ask a 20-year-old, hey, uh, what's success? you're probably going to get a lot of the same answers in the world that you and I function in. Uh, and, and you may actually hear some of those same things from coaches. Um, but I think each person has to create their own matrix for success. And in creating that matrix, I think you have to, for me, I think I've tried to find ways to move uh, the numbers that I pay attention to, to the inside. You know, the things that I used to look at uh, on Twitter, the things a long time ago that I used to read in the newspaper, I thought, and at times they were a part of my matrix for success. Like I wanted my name to be in that. And uh, I think that's why I've become maybe a, a little distant from opportunities to do this. Uh, I'm doing this, Kevin, because I think you really care about your craft. I think you try real hard. I think you study. I don't think you just show up and go, hey, what's going on, Buzz? What's the key to the game? The reason I said yes to this, I don't even know what the name of the podcast is. I didn't even know you had one. I don't know anything. But when they text me your name, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. Yeah, I'll, if, if he wants to talk, I'll talk to him. It doesn't mean that I'm judging you or judging others. I just um, – I, I, I think the way you measure yourself is, is how you measure others. Mm. And you assume that that's how others measure you. And that doesn't mean that that measure is right. It doesn't mean that others understand that measure. And so I just kind of revealed to you my measure relative to saying yes to the podcast. It doesn't mean I'm right. And it, and, and it, it just means that that's how I measure things. Do I measure things because of part of what happened in my career or part of my life story? Of course, all of that is mixed in, but I, 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 I don't want to be um, – I used to be uh, maybe – my greatest fear was failing. And I get that, and I still have uh, glimpses of that and remnants of that. But now my fear is succeeding or what other people think succeeding is at the wrong things. Hmm. It used to be fear of failure, 
and everybody has bits of that. A lot of people have lots of that. But now it's like, I just want to make sure that what I'm succeeding in is the right thing, not the wrong thing. And everybody has to figure out what that matrix is for them. But I, I don't want to succeed in the things in life that I don't think really matter. I think this one will kind of tie into what you're, you're saying, specifically in regards to basketball. What are the differences in the way you coach a team now compared to, let's go back, Marquette 2008. What, what's, what are the, the differences as it relates to coaching a basketball team? Yeah, like uh, dramatically different. I don't know, Kevin, that it would be 180. I, I think there's some things that haven't changed. Uh, the things that I think are most important, um, like uh, repeated habits, repeated habits in our program, we call them traditions. So you, ha you have seen some of those traditions. We're going to pray across the floor after shoot around. If we're on the road, we're going to take a road game pick. Those are traditions. And so no matter what anybody thinks, uh, no matter who's in the gym, if you're a new kid, an old kid, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. A tradition, we're not going to break. Habits, we'll mess up on, we'll forget. But a tradition, we're not going to change. So I think there's some things from 2008 that haven't changed on what I believe to be most important. Uh, but in 2020, are there things a lot of different? Yes. Are, is some of the strategy different? Yes. Some of the tactical pieces of what we do different? Yes. I think we've done a good job as a staff of evolving relative to how the game is changing and then teaching, coaching the group that we have and trying to figure out a way to have success. Like how we played this year at Texas A&M, we've never played like that. Uh, how we played at year one at Virginia Tech, we ran a lot of Princeton stuff. And uh, I would be the last person that uh, Princeton would ever admit into school, much less play. Um, but we, we kind of cobbled up the Juco version of Princeton offense in year number one. So I think we've, we've kind of morphed as the strategy or the, the talent on our team has changed. But I also think that there's a lot of the same core beliefs, values, uh, that are timeless. And those things have become traditions and those things haven't changed. Yeah. So, and you're referencing this year's team, which the way you guys looked in November was definitely different than, than how you looked in February and March, uh, you know, across the board effort, so many things just to zoom in on that in particular, to me, a lot of that is buy-in, right? And your players talked a lot about that this year. How do you get buy-in? How do you achieve that buy-in from players? And even in this specific case, in such short order? Yeah, uh, it, it's a credit to their parents. It's not a credit to me or our coaches. It's a credit to the kids that were on our team, their parents. You know, you, you know bits and pieces of this. Uh, we were the worst ranked Power 5 team heading into uh, – December when the first net ranking came out and then after Christmas uh, we were according to Palm we were predicted to lose every single SEC game and um, since they've been doing that you can research it uh, since they've been doing that no team that was ever predicted 
to lose every conference game has ever finished with a winning record. And obviously we didn't have a winning record at that moment. And we had bought five of those games. Um, so the, the buy-in is, it speaks to the character of our kids and how their parents raised them. I think a lot of that also is the traditions, the things that I mentioned, the things that are timeless in what we believe in, regardless of result, regardless of the day of the week, we as a staff or as a program, we never gave in to, can we turn a blind eye to this and it might help us win a game. And if we win a game just for a moment, it would provide some level of relief. And so I think you have to be careful um, on doing things like that based on results. And because of the character of our kids and their willingness to show up every day, a little bit at a time, we got a little bit better. And um, it wasn't like our style of play changed. Uh, we started doing less, which maybe allowed us to be a little bit better. But and it was a lot of fun. You know, when you're in the middle of a tornado, it never seems like fun because things are spinning so fast and you're in the eye of the tornado. So you don't know what's being kicked out and what's being thrown out. Uh, but when you have a chance to look back at it and the lessons that are available to learn, I learned so much from this group in regards to what they fought through. And I think that it also, and I said this publicly a few times, and I said it a lot to our team, I think it speaks to um, their character, which also speaks to Billy Kennedy, uh, who was here, that recruited Chuck Mitchell, that recruited Josh Nebo, that recruited Savion Flagg, J.J. Chandler. It speaks to the type of kids that he wanted to be in his program. <laughs> And so from, from the Jerry Palm prediction to you guys won 10 games in the league. I think the last win was against a ranked Auburn team. That was a good Auburn team. You guys, that was a great game. That was a great game. And so obviously what could have been, you know, you, you have to leave those questions in the past, but so, so fast forwarding then, cause now we're, we're still in the midst of this unprecedented summer. What's a specific example of, of the biggest challenge for you and your program this summer and then what has the, what's been the subsequent adjustment that you've had to make? Yeah, this has been uh, like the rest of our country, in my opinion, uh, unlike anything any of us have ever seen, unprecedented. Um, and I'm not sure that on the backside of this, that things will go back to what it once was, so to say. I think those changes are lasting and and you know like on change kevin um i think change is inevitable i don't think we necessarily thought it was going to be the changes that we've all been through over the last six months and not knowing when is this over i think uh creates some fatigue in and of itself it's almost uncertainty fatigue you're dealing with it i'm dealing with it our players are dealing with it, but, but change is inevitable, but, but growth, growth is optional. And, and what I'm learning through all this, and I think our staff's done a really good job. Uh, our kids have been locked in and engaged. 
Uh, our kids are not on campus, uh, haven't been on campus. Uh, we're not doing workouts. I know that that is different than a lot. That's not to say we're right. Um, but I think we're in the midst of significant change. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. And we are currently in the midst of significant change. And I think if we're not ultra intentional in what we're doing, we'll give in to the change. And when you give in to the change, it it causes you to kind of shrink back. And I think the un, the fatigue of all the uncertainty, it's such an unspoken heavy burden that it just causes you some days to go, man, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to do because I don't know what's going to happen. And so the change, if you're not ultra, ultra over the top intentional, it causes you emotionally to go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a break today. I'm going to take a break and just look at social media all day. Uh, I'm not going to look at my phone all day and I'm just going to sleep. Um, but I think what will happen on through this is that all of the growth or the potential growth will be based on who you are. I don't think it'll be based on your title. I don't think it'll be based on how much money you make. I don't think it'll be based on what grade you're in because it's such significant change that if it causes you to shrink, if you're not intentional, then that's kind of who you are. That's not where you're from. That's not based on how old you are. That's who you are. And so I think what we've tried to focus on is instead of trying to be controlling or dictate what they do, what I've tried to focus on is how can I help train them? How can I help equip them? And when I say train, like how can you teach yourself this is my mind playing tricks on me like the song. This is things that I can't control. And, and how can I leave the things that I can't control? How can I not give my emotion to it? How can I not give my energy to it? And how can I be ultra intentional on the things that I can control? Because I know this is an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for me, not because I'm at Texas A&M, not because I'm the head coach. This is an opportunity for me to grow. And so I don't want to look at this and go, oh, my goodness, when is a vaccine? Or, oh, my goodness, are we going to play a season? I, I can't control those things. But I can control now. I can't control how I spend my day. I can't control where I give my emotion. And I think we have to be ultra intentional about the growth instead of shrinking from the change. And I think – as leaders, how can we help? How can I help my kids? My kids are going through the same things we're going through, but they can't articulate it in the same way. Uh, when am I going back to school? And how's my friends doing? And do I still have friends? And am I supposed to be scared? And they don't know how to say all of those things, but it's the perfect opportunity for me as their dad. Let, let me see if I can help equip you because this is going to be in your children's history books. And when your children come home and tell you about COVID-19, I want you to think back to this six-month period. Maybe it ends up being 12 months. 
and go, that was the best time in my life. I learned so much. I saw my dad more than I've ever seen him. I didn't even know who my dad was. I got to see my dad coach and ride to the game with him. But, like, he was spending time with me. But yet my children's children are going to go, man, my social studies teacher said it was, like, terrible. Oh, yeah, it was. It changed the whole earth. It changed the world. But how I process it, my children, man, it was the time of my life. I learned so much and I learned how to think and I learned how to process and I learned what was important and I learned how to make sure that uh, my priorities were where they should be. And so it's an opportunity, like everything else, it's the lens in which you look through things. And I think the training and equipping our players, our staff, my children, that's what I've tried to focus on in this very unique time. Is it, is it safe to say the second biggest challenge has been the, the insanity? Is it like, a, aren't these like fam, Williams family workouts? Is it the insanity workout right now this summer? It's been so fun. This is a week. Let me think about it just for a second. Today is Friday when we're recording this. Uh, so Friday, 23 weeks ago is when we came home from Nashville. And so um, we train on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And I wake up before everybody and I train. And then, uh, then the family wakes up and I got to have somebody to coach. So I coach them. I've, I, if, if basketball doesn't work out, I think I'm going to um, apply it like Gold's Gym or because I've gotten a lot of reps on training, uh, training my wife, training our two girls, training our two boys. And they all, all, all five of them process that experience different. Um, so insanity, we did that at Marquette a long time ago when I was unhealthy. Uh, we brought it back because uh, there were a couple of team members that were tired of the weight training we were doing and wanted to change of pace. And so we brought Sean T in to the garage and uh, he, he didn't last very long, but he's, he's still around, but it's not exactly how we started, which I knew it was going <laughs> to, I knew it was going to turn into that. All right. So you mentioned Marquette again. I'm glad you, you reminded me to, to ask this one that I wanted to ask. So big East basketball, late two thousands, early portion of this decade. How grueling was it? Yeah. You know, uh, I've been so fortunate. i um, you know, we, we do all these Zooms with recruits and occasionally one of the dads uh, will say, or it, even if one of their coaches is on, will say something about Marquette. And I'm like, yeah, you, coach, you remember, Mr. Fitzgerald, do you remember like back when what the Big East was? And uh, of course I was, um, that was, seems like an eternity ago. I guess, I guess when I started at Marquette, I was 34. Well, I think by the time I was the head coach, I was 35, actually. And uh, you think back to Jim Calhoun, Jim Bayheim, Rick Patino. I mean, it was – I think it was four Hall of Famers in the league at the same time. And then um, I think when uh, I was hired at Virginia Tech, I was 40. I think that's right. Yeah, I was 40. And at that time – 
in my opinion, every coach says this, so my opinion doesn't matter more than anybody else's. I thought the ACC was the best league in the country. And I think our league now is heading in that direction. But, yeah, you know, an uneven, unbalanced schedule. Uh, Coach Gavitt was running the Big East, the basketball side of it back then. It was just who's who. And, uh, of course, I'm from a town of a 1,000 people, so, like, I'd only seen those people on TV. But, and it was such a good league. And the prep required for each game, the level of talent, the depth on each team. It was uh, – obviously, when I'm old, I'll, I'll be able to embellish it maybe even a little bit more. And, and not even just the leagues. Zoom in on your Virginia Tech, Mark. You, you know, the, the jerseys are behind you. You had, like, the, like former players of yours that have reached the league. Like, you, you've got, like, a legit roster there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if we could put together uh, some of those guys all at once. You know, we had a – I don't know if I've ever said this publicly – I may have said it to a couple of the beat writers when we were in Virginia. After my 10th year, uh, Kevin, um, as a celebration, we brought uh, every former player, every former manager, student trainer, every former assistant coach uh, to Blacksburg for a long weekend. Uh, I brought everyone that I worked for when I was an assistant to Blacksburg. And then every AD, uh, vice president, president who hired me as a head coach, they came to Blacksburg. Uh, and it was an incredible weekend. Uh, we played uh, softball. We, we they came to my house. We went to a restaurant, kind of had a banquet. Uh, we did all kind of really unique stuff. We had a Buzz's Bunch, which was always the first, is the first weekend in August, except for this year uh, because of COVID. But uh, the reason I wanted to say this was my boys were, this was uh, four years ago now, maybe three years ago. And my wife is doing a thousand things trying to help with all of this. There were over 150 people there, a lot of moving parts. So I called her one morning and I go, hey, uh, can you bring the boys up to the office? The old guys are about to play open gym. And uh, you remember Darius Johnson Odom. He was the MVP of TBT. Uh, It was Darius. It was Jimmy. It was Jay. It was Junior Cadugan. uh, Dwight Bikes, who was on the TBT team, uh, who's been in the league several years. I mean, it was a who's who, along with some of the Virginia Tech guys. And – I brought when Corey dropped off the boys. I said, "Hey, you guys, just go sit up there on the balcony so you can watch it." And uh, I'm taking them home after the open gym, and they were like, "Dad, was Jimmy the best player?" Like because they think Jimmy's the best player, All Star, Olympics, et cetera. And I'm like, "Yeah, it's close, right? Kind of depends on what you're looking at or how you're determining who the best players were." But yeah, very fortunate. Uh, to have been able, been able to be around those guys and what we were able to accomplish. It was a lot of fun. Well, I think it speaks volumes to what they mean, uh, you know, what you mean to them. They obviously want to come back and do all this. You mentioned something a little while back about just equipping your players, you know, now with, with knowledge, with comfort, with so on and so forth. But you do that in many regards, not just basketball. So, you know, there's the basketball development part of what you do, but you know, you want these guys to get better. So there is, there's professional and personal development as well. And there are sessions, uh, not about basketball, but about filing taxes, about 
how to introduce yourself properly. So you, you do this professional and personal development as well. When did you say, all right, I, I want to start doing this and why? I think we've done bits and pieces of it. It started as uh, life lessons at Marquette each Sunday. Uh, and then uh, when the season was going, we would always have what we called story time the night before the game. So I think there's always been uh, parts of it. I, I think it's increased as the years have unfolded. You know, when you say get better, uh, that's on everything we print. That's on every shirt. That's in every clip that we make. Um, when, when we say get better, get better is not just for basketball. It's how can we get better in each category of our life? How can we improve mentally? How can we improve physically? How can we improve emotionally? How can we improve spiritually? And we want our program uh, not to just be based on the development of who they are as a player. I think we have evidence that we have a good idea how to do that. We want our program to be the number one total development program. And when you say total development, that's in every facet of your life. And every life is a little different relative to their dreams and their goals. And the same is true with our staff. It's not just about the players. It's about everybody in the program. And so you have to have a vision uh, in the, on, on the path of getting better. Number one, you got to have a vision. You got to create a vision for what is best for Kevin. How are we going to develop a plan for Kevin to get better in each part of his life? And then Kevin has to have some level of ownership in that vision. And so when we're talking to Kevin, hey, Kevin, what do you want to do as a player to improve? What do you want to do as a person to improve? So we have to be intentional about Kevin being involved. It's not my plan for Kevin. It's Kevin's plan for himself on each category of his life. So uh, create a vision um, for, for Kevin. He's got to have ownership in that vision. And then what my role becomes is how can I keep Kevin connected to that vision? And so in truth, that's all I become. I'm just helping Kevin stay connected to his vision. Now, Kevin, you remember when we were talking about how you were going to get better mentally, this was what you talked about. I'm not upset with you. I'm just trying to ask you at this moment in time is what you're doing, how you're going about it, whatever that specific situation is, are you getting better? Because my responsibility, remember, I'm supposed to keep you connected to that vision. Remember, and I, we have a lot of different charts that we keep. Remember, this is what you said right here. And then the last thing is, if I can keep you connected in each category of that vision, now you will own that. And so, like, kind of like what we were talking about, Kevin, earlier in, in the questions, all of those old guys, it has nothing to do with just their basketball. It's, am I able to keep you connected to your vision so that when I'm not here, so to say, you own that vision? And uh, that's, that's our program. Uh, you'll see it uh, in, in our facility. That's how you get better. That's the path of getting better. Those are the four steps. And we never just talk about basketball. It's about every portion of your life. Yeah, really insightful. And I can't even imagine how, how helpful it is to your players. I, I'm sure you've been keeping tabs on the bubble. Uh, yep. You obviously have many former players down there. It's, it's, it's our only source of basketball right now. You, listen, you're a stylish guy on the sideline. 
Would you rather prefer the casual look that we see down in the bubble, or are you going to stay with the, the suits and the three-piece suits? What's the, what's the preference? Yeah. Oh, so I've never said this publicly, and uh, it's not to be offensive to anybody. Uh, I can't do that. Um, and, and it's because how I think through things, um, I just don't think that as much as I've been blessed to have this opportunity, that when it's time for our program to be public for three hours, uh, that I can wear some khakis and a tennis shoes and a polo. Uh, I think I should put on my Easter Sunday suit for every game because this is more than I ever dreamed. It's bigger than any dream I could even fathom. And so for me, not putting on a tie, I can't do that because how you can just wear an open collar, to me it's like you're too cool for school. I can't do that. I understand why people do, but I can't wear a polo. I, I may have one Texas A&M polo. I never wear polos because I think uh, just how I was raised by my parents, you, you always want to give your best. And if you're asking your players and your staff, man, what we're doing is really, really important and it's changing lives. And now we're going to give the public an opportunity to see it. We need to be our best. And when we say we need to be our best, it's not just the words we speak or the actions that we take. It's in every part of way. Uh, I, I have to get my hair cut before the game. Why? Because that's part of being my best. Uh, why do you have to pay attention to what shirt and what tie? It's just because what's transpiring in my life is bigger and better than anything I ever thought of. And I don't want someone to look at me and go, wow, he doesn't even dress up for work. Um, I can't do that. I don't have any problem with people that do. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just not, it's just not for me. Well, you, you nail it. No doubt. You nail it when you're on the sideline there. Coach, you've got to go. This has been uh, spectacular, really insightful stuff. You delivered exactly what I'm sure everybody expected you to do. So uh, Buzz Williams, SEC Coach of the Year. Coach, thanks so much for the time. Thank you very much, Kevin. Good to see you. Hey, thanks so much for listening again. As expected, really great perspectives there from Buzz, who, you know, he's one of the more thoughtful coaches, almost analytical leaders and coaches in our game of college basketball. And the impacts he has made wherever he has been during his coaching career is abundantly clear. Great success at Marquette, delivered the program its only Big East title in its history, five NCAA tournaments. Go look back at this, by the way. Completely revitalized Virginia Tech's basketball program. The year before he arrived, the program lost 22 games. His final season, it won a school record 26 games, three straight NCAA tournaments. That just, historically speaking, that doesn't happen there. And SEC Coach of the Year, in his first season at Texas A&M. It's, it's all pretty obviously documented here. So I think he understands too and, and cherishes and appreciates the impact that he does make at that school or on the players' lives or in those communities, so on and so forth. So, hey, if you like this, hit subscribe. That means these episodes, they'll get delivered right to your library and your, your podcast app or wherever you get it, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, so on and so forth, uh, immediately right when these episodes go live each week we do this once a week we have great guests on so yeah go ahead hit subscribe all right well for buzz williams i'm kevin fitzgerald thanks for listening to one-on-one -on -one.